Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today is multi talented actress, singer, author, and philanthropist Rami Chuenin. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. Ms. Chuenin, you've had an extensive acting career, and some of your credits include Gianni, Land of Blood, How to Ruin Christmas. Isano, The Queen, Harvest, Mubango, Sevendalan, It's Complicated, Scandal, and Backstage, to, to name a few. I've seen you on the screen for years and years. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. But please call me Rami. I'm so used to just being called Rami. But yeah, that's that's how basically some of the stuff that I've done, some of the work that I've done. And it has been such an incredible journey, you know, um, a good 2022. 20, two years on 23 years on tv and 25 uh like on stage like when i started out and so far so good it is quite a blessing to be able to still be here and still work and still do what i like doing yeah still being relevant (laughs) and that's a fair degree of longevity in the entertainment industry when did you feel the bug and know that performance arts was going to be your path? Oh, I'm going to sound like every other entertainer. Well, I started singing church. How many times have you heard that story? <laughs> yes. I mean, since I was like five or six, one of the most sober and more vivid times, like I know exactly when I made the decision that I am going to be in the entertainment industry was when my high school took us to Joburg. I went to a high school in, in Limpopo, in Jane first. And I remember when we came in through the bus, it was, it was just early in the evening. And I just saw lights, lots and lots and lots of lights. And that's when I knew I fell completely in love with Joburg. And then, then I also had, had just started joined the drama class at school. I used to have a beautiful English teacher called Pippa Davis. And I was in all the drama productions in my high school. And then they took us to the market theater. And the day I set foot in the market theater, that's when I said to everyone that I was with, I said, I am coming back here to be in the entertainment industry. And I said to them, 10 years from now, the next time I come to the market, I will not come to visit. I will actually be on stage. And that's exactly what happened. That's such a vision at an early age, cementing your dream, how supportive were your parents? Because the reality is that most parents are not really in favor of their kids going into a creative pursuit. That's true. It wasn't that hard for them, but they were very, very doubtful and they were worried. Oh no, what if it doesn't work out? You know, and my, my parents are pastors. Then they'll start quoting scriptures like, oh, hope deferred makes their heart sick. And <laughs> and they'll be like, we want to support you, but we're not sure. Uh, maybe you must do something serious first, something that you can fall back on. That's what every parent says. Find something that you can fall back on because they are definitely expecting the fall because that's just how the entertainment industry works. And yeah, I've been waiting for the fall. Thankfully, it hasn't happened. And I hope it doesn't. But eventually, you know, they warmed up to the idea and they just supported everything that I did. 
because I kept on saying, trust me, that there's nothing else. This is what I want yeah. to do. Having walked this journey, can you tell us about some of the milestones in your career so far? You, wow. Let me think, let me think, let me think. In terms of growth, one of the um, the best things that I did was write my book. It's a, a memoir essay. It's called, We Kissed the Sun and Embraced the Moon. And that was just me telling of my life story, how I grew up, some of the silly things that I've done in life as well. What a beautiful title. We Kissed the Sun and Embraced the Moon. How did that come about? Oh, it was just me being over Shakespeare. <laughs> but we kissed the sun. Basically, what I wanted to, because it's more like the good, the bad, and the ugly of my life. But we kissed the sun. It was basically, it was about the sun coming out and the moon coming out. Like, you know, the good times, the dark times. So that when the sun, when, when the sun came out, I really played in the sun. And when the darkness came, then I relied on the little glimmer and the little light that the moon supplied, knowing that I will definitely get out of the gutter to come back. So I was basically saying I embraced even the dark times that I experienced because it contributed to the person that I became. And I wanted people who read my book to kind of know that because people are like, oh, you're always so happy. You're so light. You're so talkative. You're so energetic. And I'm like, no, but there is also the other sides that are like so down. So they need to see those sides and still see that even in my happy, I've had those dark times, but I've overcome them. And I think that is why we were kissing the sun and embracing the moon. Like no matter what, life is just going to carry on. Just play with whatever you're thrown at at the moment. It sounds as though there was a lot of vulnerability and authenticity and providing that reality that life is just not sunshine and rainbows all the time. We we have the good and we have the bad. And that's the balance that life serves us. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Oh, the cool thing about my book is that it's 30 short essays. So you can read it randomly. You don't have to read it in sequence. The stories are independent of each other, you know. But there's a story that I talk about when I was, I used to be a bedwetter. Uh, when I was growing up. So I talk about bedwetting because someone would be like, oh, you're such a star and everything. They think I tackled that. And I didn't even know that it was going to be such a big deal. I've done so many interviews where now people, young people wanted to understand. So now I'm also a bedwetter. How do I deal with it? I'm like, no, then we talk about it. And when they realize that I've also been a bedwetter, they're like, oh, so you're normal. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> then I also talk about sexual abuse. I was sexually abused when I was, I was young. I talk about that a lot, but that was like, obviously the hardest chapter to write, but it needed to be said in so many ways, because I think as much as we love telling stories of abuse, especially women abuse and children abuse, because that is the biggest issue that we have in the world. And worst in our country, South Africa has the highest rates for rape, child molestation, child trafficking, human trafficking, the ratings are so high. The statistics are so disappointing. And I think sometimes it helps when you have someone who is able to talk about those experiences, but then you don't leave it there. You say, okay, then that happened. And now, right now, this is where we are. Yes, you do not forget, but then you start building and trying to change the course of your life around 
so that you end up being a victorious person. I never say, oh, I'm a victim of child abuse. And I, I say it loosely that there are times where I forget, not because I choose to forget or I have forgotten, but because I've built so many positive things even on that, that I forget to say I'm actually a victim. And I think it's stories that have helped me to, to catapult and to be able to launch myself and, and land on a higher ground. It sounds as though part of it was also a, a, a cathartic experience of putting things down onto paper. Yes. And yes. what I'm hearing from you now is how whatever has happened in your life, you've used that as a foundation. It's, it's part of you and yes. it informs the way that you go forwards. Yes. And I, I wondered you know, one of the things that I, I recognized is the work that you do in the, the philanthropic space. So yeah. I know you've been involved in several campaigns like the uh, I Am Me campaign with Ackermans. You've yes. also done initiatives, Color Your Life, Sensible Choices. And yeah. you started the, the Rami Choyne Foundation, which yes. pay offline, do good where you are. Yes. Tell us how that came into being. Okay, do good where you are. First, I think, because I'm not a multimillionaire, <laughs> but I think a lot of people, especially celebrities or prominent people in the industry, there's some of them that they think that you need to have a particular amount of money. Like, you know, sometimes it's difficult for you to do something good because you're like, as soon as I make my first million, then I can help buy groceries for 10 families. And the, the pay of line, do good where you are with whatever you have. Because sometimes I might be with you, like we, we end up on the same bus and you realize that you have left your purse at home. Me paying for your bus trip, it is doing good at that moment mm -hmm. based on that situation. I might not have changed your life with a million dollars, but me paying for your trip on the bus saved you time so that you can get to work on time because everything is, is an energy, like... Um, I, I love money. I love money. And I always tell, I say to people. Who doesn't? Money. Yes. But you see, I love money in a different way. Money is an energy. You know, it is not just a, a currency. Energy and enabler. Yes, exactly. So when I've got 20,000 rand and I choose to give you only 200. And I say only because according to me, it is only 200. But according to you, it is the 200 that can just make a difference at home. You could buy some food for the week, vegetables, um, maize meal for pop. Then your kids are fed. Then they go to school full. And that energy, they go to school full. Then when they get to school, they project good results. Good results add to whatever it is that they want to do in their careers. Their careers make them you know, generate income for themselves and they change the course of their lives and destiny. So that is why I'm saying you sometimes you can undermine the little that you have. Yeah. So that is why do good where you are. It's all about being relative and that, that perspective of where you are in life. And I loved some of the quotes that you had on the website. One that really stood out for me was the Mahatma Gandhi one. Whatever you do will be insignificant, but it is very important that you do it. Yes. Yes. It's exactly that. You know, sometimes it's giving someone a lift 
and it's not just about money as well. It's just about energy. It's being able to give someone a hug when they least expected it, only to realize that they really, really needed it. It's sometimes just listening to other people and just being a sounding board. You might, you don't have to have all the answers. And sometimes someone just wants to pour their hearts out because they need to let it all out. And they're not asking you to be Dr. Phil. They just want you to listen to them. And that is also being able to give some, a piece of yourself to someone else. Let me tell you a short story. Okay. I love telling stories. I think they're the best things. One day I was driving home. I always keep two pairs of shoes in, in, in the car, you know. You go for interviews, you're wearing high heels. Then you've got flip-flops, flats, and all of that. And that day I had two pairs of flats because I took an ex- I took flats forgetting that I had flats already in the car. And then um, I saw two ladies walking uh, walking down the road on William Nicole. And then I saw, because I could see the other one is barefoot, but she has her shoes in, in her hands. And I'm like, I stop. I'm like, hey, hey, what's happening there? It's like, oh, yeah, I broke my shoe. I can't, and it was hot. And I'm like, what size are you? She said a six. I'm like, perfect, I'm a size six. And then I took a pair out and I threw it at her and said, there you go. And then I forgot about it. And then a few years later, I was doing voiceovers. And then this other woman said to me, I know you don't remember me. Then she tells me the same story. I'm like, what? And, and she was saying that it is one of her favorite favorite stories to tell but at that time I was like no man you can't be walking barefoot there you go and I carried on with my life but it is those little things that as humans we never stop and pause to take in because we are so channeled to just move on with life and do everything Mm -hmm. but as you go on about your business someone actually stopped and went wow what did I do? What, what did I do to get this? And everyone's like, oh, God works in mysterious ways and all of Yes, we are the parts that works that work mysteriously, you know? That really is a wonderful story. And you're in the art of storytelling. Given that you are an actress and you've, you've written your book, you've, you've done your music, media has got a certain aspect of of longevity. And I think that it really plays an important role in the way that women often are represented or misrepresented in society. So thinking about women, particularly in our continent and country, for me, it's really, really important that we portrayed in in the right manner, that our, our voices are heard and that we're seen. How does this dynamic influence your choice of roles that you take on? You know, um, I hardly say no to a lot of work, but thankfully a lot of roles that have chosen me have given me the platform to be able to tell stories of strong women, vulnerable women, gangster women, go-getter women. And thankfully I've managed to tell the stories in ways that a lot of women will identify with me, but you are correct that there's a lot of misrepresentation of what women are and who women are and what they can do and what they cannot do and the aspirations in life and their dreams. Unfortunately, the world is still a men's world as much as we are trying to break into different categories, different departments, different spheres, different stages. Um, they still get chosen over us, even in the entertainment industry. If I'm a lead 
on my show and there's an there's a male lead as well chances of the male lead making more money than me are very very high and it is not like a difference of a thousand rand the difference is a lot it's like three steps ahead how do we correct this we fight that i always fight i i love fighting i think i was born to just fight and not fight in a futile manner but i i i fight knowing that I fight for the truth, but sometimes you do get caught up uh, in the fight where someone's like, no, we don't want to deal with that. You'd rather leave. Then then I'm like, good. It's a chance I'm willing to take. Then I go. And for instance, in this exact scenario that you've given us, is there transparency? So actor male X is being paid X, Y, Z. Rami, female lead, is being paid ABC. No. So there's no transparency. There's no transparency. And I've been that one who has always encouraged actors to be able to speak. I would ask that. I'm like, okay, fine. You don't have to tell me the exact amount. Just kind of tell me the bracket that you're sitting on. And I have found that in some instances where I would ask, because people are like, oh yeah, this, this show doesn't pay. I'm like, wait, what do you mean? The show doesn't pay. Where are you sitting? Sometimes I will overestimate people. I'll be thinking, oh, you are saying so you've done this and this and that. I think this is how much you're getting. And they're like, no, it's not even half of that. And it's an issue that we always have. We also have as entertainers, that whole divide and rule thing, it has really messed us up because everyone is embarrassed to tell people how much they earn. And then sometimes when you don't know how to negotiate, speak to someone that you think they probably know what you should be worth. And I can advise, but there is no transparency at all. Exploitation is, is definitely one of my, my pet peeves, especially when it comes to gender dynamics. But something that I've realized in the entertainment industry, and I, I reflect for a moment on a piece that you wrote on Twitter, where you were talking about the entertainment industry and the fact that everyone is a freelancer. So it yeah. does impact on your, your earnings, your, your stability and uncertainty. Yeah. Please unpack yeah. that a little bit more for us, especially from a female perspective. From a female perspective, it's, it's the worst because, you know, when you're a female, you're, being a woman, it's hard. It's the best thing ever, but it's the hardest thing. You toil for everything. You have to run five times faster. You have to work 10 times harder. For instance, in acting, you're lucky if you get married and you want to start a family. You've been with a show since it started and you've been there for five years, for instance. I mean, why would you not be having a baby after five years of having a partner or being married and all of that? And it is so easy for them to say, oh, no, sorry, we don't want our character pregnant. We're either replacing you, killing you off, whatever. It changes your life overnight. Okay. Sometimes it is even planned. You even say, uh, my husband and I are planning on starting a family, this and this and that. And there are those gracious productions that will allow that and allocate it and work around you. But most of them, they don't want to overthink. Now we have to accommodate you and your pregnancy. No, the character is never pregnant already now. It's not just uh, nine months off because you'll be able to work until you're at least four months pregnant. Okay because then you start showing. Then after four months, then they let you go. You've got that five months, six months, then the baby comes. And then you also want to spend time with your child. 
So you end up having the whole year off. By the time you want to return, the story has moved so far that they left you out. You see, that's one of the things. And we don't have maternity leave. You only get paid when you work. How do you manage financially? And I, you know, I'm, I'm not asking you for your numbers, but I'm asking from this point of view of, you know, let's say the corporate world is a nine to five structure. When you are applying for a home loan, when you're applying for vehicle finance, they love to see a regular paycheck. What do you do? It is the worst. Firstly, it is even more difficult for women and not just for women, for single women. If you're single, if you're divorced, because I'm a divorcee. And I remember when I tried to get a home loan, it was so hard. It was easy when I was married. Because and even though we were both freelance actors at the time, but when you're a freelancer, if you want a home loan, they're going to ask you for a year's 12-month statement. They want to see your SARS records. Basically, they want everything. They're close to asking for your blood sample. They ask you everything that they will never ask a regular person. And a normal person would they can put 10% deposit on their vehicle or on the home loan. But with you, they would want 20. It's worse when you're a woman. It's they're like, do you have surety? Is there someone who can back this up? <laughs> Rami, you're not making this industry sound attractive at all. I know, I know it is amazing, but the realities of it, like it's the entertainment industry is a, it's a matter of passion and it needs a lot of planning and it needs a lot of wisdom. It needs a lot of listening and, and reading and researching. So that by the time you as you start establishing yourself, I mean, I'm well established in the entertainment industry, but I'm not the wealthiest person. I, I can't say to people I'm wealthy. I, I, I just I have a house. I have one house. I have one car, you know, but just to get here, to be able to be this so-called stable like I am now, it took a lot. Having walked this journey, you have accumulated a ton of experience. And one of the things that struck me is that you are, are very conscious about the rules and the regulations within the entertainment industry. Yeah. So, for example, we were chatting offline about the issue of creative ownership and owning your masters from a music perspective and what, what that means to have your own copyright. I know that you released your debut album, from Fear to Love through your own recording label, Ramsgate yeah. Records. And I'm assuming that part of this motivation was ownership of yes. your, your music. Would yes. you just tell us a little bit more about what that means what? and how much as an artist you would typically earn if you were with a recording label that wasn't your own? Yeah, I think, first of all, the, the biggest thing is owning your masters, which is why I did the recording label. And I remember a lot of people will inquire, so since you have a recording label, do you sign up other artists? I'm like, no, the intention is not to sign up any other artist. I am my own artist, me, myself, just me, so that I can have my own masters. I can control how my music is distributed, it is played, how it is, um, whether, you know, exploited for lack of a better word, because there will always be some form of exploitation, whether you like it or not. But it's better to have controlled exploitation than an uncontrolled exploitation. You know, when you're sitting here and someone's like, yeah, you know, I, I heard your music in Jamaica. You're like, excuse me, what? Wait, 
No, this person was singing. No, we don't want that. That's some of the things that you do not want. And I felt that it was important to protect my masters. It was important to make sure that anything that comes out of my music comes directly to me. It's a very hard thing because you don't have a big team pushing you, pushing sales, buying needle time. There are some people who are, who are even paying payola so that DJs can play their songs so that they rotate at the most important times of the day. And recording labels, they will do that. They will market you. They will find you a place to stay. They'll give you what they say. It's, an, it's, it's a signing fee. Usually it's about 500,000 when you sign with a recording label. Okay, I need to quickly break this down before you cut me. So there's a, there's a signing fee when you sign with a recording label, a major recording label. And half of the time, it's like around 500,000 rand. And that 500,000 rand, it is literally given to you and it is in your account. You can quickly go buy a new car, move up from the ghetto, come and live in Bryanston or come and live in Santon or live in Four Ways, whatever. Then you record, you start making money. Then they push your sales. They market. There's a lot of PR that goes around your album. Lots of interviews, lots of needle time, uh, lots of exposure out there. You know, everywhere you go, when you get into a taxi, your song is going on, it's blaring. In the elevator, it's on, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Someone made sure, it is not a sheer coincidence. Someone made sure that at this particular time, So many times a day, so many times a week, so many times a month, the public will hear a song. And you know how the mind goes. You hear a song once and two days later, you're going "Mm," in your kitchen as you're making. "Mm -hmm." Then next thing you get in your car, you're like, let me just play it to just get it off my system. And that's how it goes. But there's a big team that makes all of that possible. But the problem comes when now you have to pay back. Because the recording label, you you have to pay your marketing team, your distributing team, the PR, publicist, wardrobe, makeup, and everything. They take all of that from your account. And remember, there's 500,000, right? Your signing fee. And you think it's a signing fee. No, actually, it's an advance. So you will not earn a cent until that money is paid back to the recording label. At that time, you're performing everywhere three gigs a day. You're in Rustenburg, then you're in Mabatu, then you go to Polokwani this weekend. Next weekend, you're in the Eastern Cape, then you're in Cape Town. You're in, you're just paying and paying and paying and working your butt off and not seeing any of that, of that money because you've spent it. They said it was a signing fee. They were not transparent enough saying it's actually a loan. By the way, if you read your contract, or had you read your contract as an artist, that signing fee, you are entitled to say yes to it or to say no to it. You don't have to take it. You don't have to take the advance because then it comes with interest. It doesn't stop. You've, you've given a real reality check on, on the inside scoop and read, read, read the fine print. Yes. please. All the time. And also, by the way, when you sell your CD, when your CD sells, you can get, as an artist, you will get only between 5 and 12% of that money. So if an, your CD sells or your music is 100, is 100 rand, you will only get 5 rand of the 100 rand. And now with online music, Apple, Spotify, and all of that, the fractions are even smaller because uh, now the public doesn't have to buy your whole album. I can only buy one song. 
So if one song is 10 rand, guess how much money you're making? 50 cent. I know, sound like a party pooper, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I'm not part of your industry. <laughs> but we love it. We do it anyway. We love it. Turning towards more of a personal perspective, you're yeah. a mom to three daughters. In yes. your opinion, if there was one thing that you could change to ensure that they had a better future in the world, what would that be? Whew. I, I, no, I don't know. <laughs> I think I've I've done my best. I, I, I hardly think like that, actually. Um, I hardly think like that because also my 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 goals are all of them, that bunch of creative. My first one is a fashion designer. My second one is just completing her culinary studies. She's a chef and she's already been working at one of the best uh, hotels in the country, at the Houghton Hotel at Sejour. So all the beautiful and expensive food people are eating there. My daughter did them. And my 15-year-old is now going to grade 10. And she's a, she's a dancer. She's a ballerina. She wants to go dance in Sicily after matric. So I think one of the best ways for me to help them secure and have a better future is some of the decisions that I make for myself. And I share with them that, okay, I'm not doing this job because of this and this and that. I'm doing this one because of this and this. And they know. And they understand that I'm a freelancer and they've been so understanding and they know what they get is really, really what they get. I don't have money stitched some way because I don't want to give them. So they're also living their lives as freelancers as well, you know? Yeah, it, it sounds as though you've inspired and infused the creative spirit in all of them. And yes, they're doing different things, but it all is about yeah. creativity. Yes, yes, they they they're very they're a creative bunch and and I like that and they know they know how the industry works and they know what to expect and what not to expect. I think they'll be able to know how to fight to fight for their own place and their own space in whichever industry that they're in. And I think they're just gonna do amazing. And I have a grandchild, by the way, who thinks she's a superstar as well. So there's another she's one. So no, yeah, my granddaughter, my granddaughter, she's seventeen months. Now she is the diva extraordinaire and, but she's amazing. She's intelligent and we're trying to teach her as much as we can, but she's a very independent soul, loves music, you know, all kids do, but I wouldn't be surprised if she follows the, the entertainment thing. In fact, one of the things that I like is like, oh guys, why is no one a doctor, a chartered accountant, just so that we can just eat money in peace, you know? But I would never do that to them. They just pick and choose whatever they want to do. And, and I hope it works for them because when they love it, then it makes them happy. And when they're happy, then it's easy to even generate more energy, generate income effortlessly. So, you know, because I was, I was being the prophet of doom earlier, but there are a lot of artists that they've done so well who've also gone independent. People like Casper, Casper Neuvest owns his masters and he is rich, he's doing very well. Someone like Somizi, Somizi has just been everywhere, acting, doing lots of gigs, appearances, he's done well. Uh, we've had a lot of women like DJ Zintle, Deben Gogo, Pel Tusi, Bondang Mateva. Oh, the list is endless of people who took the plunge and said, you know what, I'm not going to, conform to the so-called rules and regulations of the only way to do things. They took a chance and it has paid off and it has paid off in such extraordinary ways. 
that they still stand firm and independent and driven. And they're sitting right up there with the high achievers, highest go-getters, and also income, income generating careers, even though all of them are still freelancers. They've worked the system. They've been very bold. They've been brave and authentic, in in my opinion. Yes. What would you say have been some of the factors that have contributed to your success? Because 25 years in the industry, no mean feat. (laughs) No. I think I think one of the biggest thing I'm a very patient person sometimes it's irritating like very very patient and I know how to pace myself I think being able to pace myself being able to work hard uh, also knowing what I would want to achieve in fact um for me 25 years is still very very little of where I would want to be I keep saying to everyone that I'm going to be like Cicely Tyson she literally died on stage, you know, performing. Like she she still has her latest movie. She, she didn't die. She just left. And that's how I feel I will do. I'm, I'm, I'm not just going to pass away. It will just because my body's like, girl, no, not one more day, you know. But I think the heart of being able to be a performer. And I knew very early in life that to be able to do all of that, there's some of the things that I will need to deny myself, you know. We can party all we want, but I don't, I don't need to party seven days a week. Try and be healthy, uh, live a balanced lifestyle, read a lot. Uh, you know, now you know that I love reading. Reading a lot, discovering, just taking time out for yourself. And also I think being an authentic person, being a good friend, a good sister, a good child, and not because of morals of, or anything, but being able, knowing that you are loyal, you're dependable, you are reliable, you're trustworthy, you are honest. The next person you see will probably say the same things about me that you probably see from me. Like I don't give different faces in the industry. I I can boldly talk about you and you can come tomorrow and say, I heard you were talking about me and I will not be afraid to repeat exactly what I said because I'm not trying to, you just be an honest human being. And I think that's what has helped me. I want to be a cool 60-year-old looking mom. I want to see my grandchildren grow. I want to see the so-called empire give off great energy, make difference in people's lives and simply making a difference in the industry, in our country. I want to see young women who are emerging, coming up, knowing that they can call me up when they need advice, even just to simply hang out. I do that a lot. Sometimes I just go like here in my mind thinking, oh, here we go again. We had this conversation last week. I told you not to, but you did. Now look where we are. Okay, fine. Let's see how we can fix it. But I think just being able to pace myself, be patient with myself, have the ability to want to learn, to know more and be a better human being. I think that's what that's what has sustained me. And also loving what I do, being passionate about work. I get excited when I smell a new script, when I get a new role. Like I immerse myself in it and I just, I cannot wait for the audience to see what we have in store for them. Shooting something like How to Ring Christmas. And also when I watch my work, I watch my work like I'm, I'm an audience. So I work over. When I watch I watch the character and when I enjoy what I do, then for me, that is even more satisfying. I love it when people love what we do, but it's even more fulfilling when I look back. I'm like, well, that girl, you did so well. I love it. (laughs) 
Rami, you have this amazing sense of energy and the philosophy of your energy on being able to pay it forward and have it materialized in in others is is so beautiful. As we close out our conversation today and thinking about a message for the new year, if you could offer a, a few words of inspiration for 2023 to girls and women in the continent that are listening to us. Wow. To girls and women who are listening to us right now, 2023, I feel like it's going to come with a different wave altogether, especially for women in Africa. And I will tell you why I say that. Well, from the entertainment point of view, I've seen how now all the international companies come through to Africa and to tell stories that they believe they can be told and be led by women, not just women, but by also black women. And I don't know how political you are, but as you've seen for the first time in the history of the ANC, we've got three women in the top seven position. There is a wave of surrender that is going to come from men when they realize that we think we've tried our best and really our best has led us to here. Our best has led us to load shading. Our best has led us to potholes. Our best has led us to this. Let's leave these ones who talk a lot to take the lead for once and let's see what it is that they can do. Women are strong, powerful, innovative, creative. We adapt very quickly. No situation can be over too overwhelming for us. We cry a bit, then we get up and we kick, we kick doors open. And I feel that 2023 is going to now surrender to all the hard work that we've put in. And it's just going to literally lay the red carpet for us to just walk through and take all these leadership positions. We're taking the leadership positions because we've been capable all along. And I feel that we're going to take the world in a different way completely. And I think the world and the universe is surrendering to the power of women, to the power of mother nature itself. It is going back to the basics that women have always been the number one source of everything and trying to dampen them and trying to to like oppress them. They tried, it has not worked. So everything is surrendering to women in 2023. You will see. I am telling you, you will see the positions in all departments, in all avenues. Women are just going to be like flourishing in a crazy, crazy and unbelievable way. And you know what? It is time. Thank you. That is such a brilliant message for 2023. The sky is the limit. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Malay. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and we have been talking to multi-talented actress, singer, author, and philanthropist, Rami Chuene. 